lemonade. Since Lisa's here, it's just lemonade. Or since Lisa's not here, it's just lemonade. Um, <clears throat> here we go. Welcome to the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast. Jeff Johnson here coming to you live from upstairs studio without Lisa Murphy. She had some family stuff come up, couldn't join us for this episode. And without any of our, our new co-hosts, Sam isn't here, Kristen isn't here, um, uh, uh, Nicole with her awesome Australian accent isn't here. But we've got another cast here via Zoom and we're talking weapons play. Uh, before we get started, we're chatting a little bit about where to jump in and I'm getting Getting a little bit of background noise. I'm going to mute somebody. Um, Jennifer, we were talking a little bit about getting when we were uh, getting started, and you you've been out of the field for a while, and now you're coming back, and you were at home being mom, and you're like, eh, weapons play, whatever. Um, <laughs> and and so what's what's the situation? What are you dealing with? I think you know I'm back in preschool, obviously, and I have a class of boys who just want to punch and fight and every stick, every Lego, every car, anything. I mean, a crayon can turn into a pew, pew, pew. And so it's like in the past, I was told, you know, back when I was getting my education degree, well, redirect them or, but sometimes redirect was like, turn it into a bubble wand. It's like, well, they're still pew, pewing, <laughs> which I'm like, okay. So I feel like I, I kind of want to really have a healthy discussion on it. Cause I feel so like, I feel it's almost bipolar, like, yes, you can do it. And no, you can't. And whereas in today's age, where is it? Okay. Cause I feel like the natural thing is to play. And if they're playing out death, I mean, they watch it in TV shows anyway. Yeah. We're, we're in a tough situation. I mean, look, especially if you go on social media, because there's, it seems like there's always somebody ready to jump in and bite your head off, no matter what your opinion on anything is. And a lot of people have a lot of energy around, around weapons and they want to, I don't know, social engineer the world to a, a place where that's not a thing anymore, but it is a thing because weapons have been a thing for as long as we've been humans and children, it turns out from, from, from the best of our knowledge have been playing with weapons for as long as there've been weapons. And it seems like there's probably no real way to, to make that stop unless we as the adults get rid of the weapons and expecting the kids to stop first is putting a lot of pressure on a lot of people who don't know how to wipe their butts by themselves yet, um, let alone control themselves to, to great extents with, with how they play and how they interact with each other. So it's a, it's a real tough place to be. Um, and I mean, all the anthropology and we don't, we don't know much about what childhood was like in, in past generations because children weren't leaders and Kings. And so there isn't a lot of records on them. But from what we do know, and I think Peter Gray talks about this in, uh, in the first couple chapters of Free to Learn, uh, the anthropologists he talked to talked about kids playing with the, the cast-off and, and child-sized versions of the things that their adults used. So cast-off weapons and child-sized versions of blowguns or spears or arrows or those kind of things. And so it's something kids have been doing for as long as there have been kids, and yet we build up all this adult energy about it. Um, and so what do we, what do we do about it? Anybody else want to chime in? That's not a lot we've of always been told. Ooh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, we've always been in our classroom. I'm also in a preschool classroom that um, 
make it appropriate for them. If there are kids that don't want to play that game, you may not do those things with those children. If you, uh, you want to, you know, you want to pretend it's a sword and Susie doesn't want it to be a sword that that's not how you may use it as a sword. She doesn't want to use it that way. Don't, you may not play. She doesn't want to play with you in that manner. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense because, I mean, one of the conditions of play is that play is freely chosen. And if so, so if you're having somebody else's play thrust upon you um, and you haven't given consent to it, it's it's not play for you. It's it's violence or aggression. If if everybody involved is is kind of down with what's going on, it makes it a lot easier to to support the activity. And so maybe one one thing that we need to look at in our class rooms is how do we create an environment where kids are free to dissent or assent to different activities and and then that's cool so that the kids who want to play ninja to do kids still play ninja turtles is that still i don't i'm old i don't know if that's even still a thing uh ninja turtles um samurais uh transformers uh jedis has got to still be a thing um if they're if they're down with that you let it roll and and help those kids understand that hey those those kids over there that are painting want to want to paint they don't want to get ninjaed so keep the ninja stuff over here and everybody live peacefully in this land of of ninjas and painting i mean it it, it can happen somebody else jump in and talk to me I mean, that was my entire rant right there. So, oh, you do it, Melissa. You do your rant because I mean, people listen to my rants all the time. So, <laughs> well, um, there's just an opportunity there to teach children how to have boundaries with each other. Sure. Um, and, you know, boundaries and consent. It's a big buzzword right now, but uh, around weapons play or rough and tumble play in general, but especially weapons play. Uh, we kind of have a rule where if someone says, don't shoot at me, then you can't shoot at them. You have to find a different target. <laughs> and, and they can live peacefully with that? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they need a little bit of, uh, you know, assistance. Yeah. yeah. In, and, uh, you know, just having a little bit of impulse control because that hasn't grown in yet. But it, it's pretty amazing how children can, you know, work within a framework that either they help develop or is developed for them. If they really want to do a thing, they can, they can work within the boundaries we, we put together for them most of the time, as long as those boundaries are kind of respectful of where they are developmentally and as of them as individuals. Uh, how, do, how do parents respond to that? Mixed reviews, honestly. Um, <laughs> sometimes, like, some parents are very, like, oh, I don't want my children, you know, pretending to play with weapons because, you know, that's just part of their family culture or whatever. Uh, the thing is, no matter what we do and what rules we make, kids are going to play that anyways. And I would rather have them doing their weapons play in front of my face where I can keep an eye on it and I can know if things are getting... Uh, out of hand or getting a little bit weird rather than having them like make it into this covert thing don't let the adults know that <laughs> i'm yeah. an army marine today or whatever absolutely when we when we make stuff taboo we don't stop it we just drive it underground um you could tell them to stop shooting at each other but 
if you if and if you if you think they listened, you're just not turning around fast enough because it's it's totally going on behind you or over on the far end of the playground where they they where you can't can't hear them or those kind of things. And so making it taking away that taboo and and bringing it out into the open gives you a little bit more input into to how things unfold and allows you to to be more supportive of it and and offer resources that you wouldn't be able to do when you're when you're driving it underground and so yeah. go ahead I uh, ended up writing like a big long article for my parent community one year because we actually set up a shooting gallery in our classroom and the children like drew targets and we stuck them all up on the wall and um, they're using like blocks and fingers and whatever as their, as their weapons. But uh, you know, we had this whole, okay, so if you're doing target practice, there are some rules. You can't shoot when anyone's standing in front of you. Uh, things like, you know, if uh, people are like, make sure it's safe. Uh, if people are in front of you, they might get hit by whatever imaginary bullets you're shooting, right? And we don't want people to be imaginary dead uh, unless they really want to do that. So, <laughs> um, but it caused a little bit of a ruckus, of course. Um, and so I wrote this letter to my parent community, kind of explaining uh, the power behind weapons play and the opportunity that we had to teach children actual safety around weapons. Now I live in Canada, so we don't have as many people with firearms just lying around. Um, but we've got, you know, people go hunting and whatever. And so we talk about, okay, but what if it was a real gun, you know, <laughs> and yeah. some sort of basic safety rules around that. And, and I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing too, because I mean, the research seems to be pretty clear on this too. Children at very young ages know the, tween, the difference between real and imaginary. Um, I, I think Allison uh, Gopnik, that with some of her research with infants and toddlers has shown kids one and younger can, can tell the difference between real and imaginary, real and fantasy. And so kids know the difference between, hey, this is, this is a toy gun, this is my finger, this is not a real gun. And that thing over there in the locked cabinet, the, the gun safe is, is grandma's uh, hunting rifle that she uses when she goes out to, to bag a moose every year because she's in Canada. And, and I think that's what everybody does in the Canada, right? Everybody goes out and bags a moose. Well, I mean, my dad did that. So, oh man, your dad is so much cooler than I would ever dream of being. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's totally it. And so when we embrace this kind of the play, another thing we need to kind of embrace is educating the adults around children that real weapons need to be treated like real weapons um, because, because kids are curious. And so if that stuff is left laying around uh, and, and not, not, not kept in a safe place, that's when, that's when the uh, accidents happen. I got a hand up. Deborah. What do you want, what do you want to throw into the conversation? Well, in the area that I live in, it's, it's not as, lovely as Canada, unfortunately. Um, violence and especially, you know, gun violence is almost daily um, occurrence in the news. And actually, we had a situation during school where there were shots fired around our school. So trying to let allow the children to have that, you know, even with superheroes that that free play with weapons, but, you know, help the parents understand that that's that is a safe play 
but yet they're living it. The trauma's there. So I, I was really looking for information kind of to, to help that conversation. Okay. So I think, I think that's really important. And I, I'm, my, my experience is uh, uh, there are some, some situations where people are living in, the sim- in those similar situations in, in the Canada as, as well. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the reality of life in, in, in some neighborhoods. And so one of the things about real play is that it's therapeutic, and so children use their play as ways of working through the things they've experienced in real life. Uh, how many of you have had, I mean, my go-to is Monday morning where kids come in and they're recreating something that happened at home over the weekend. And it might be mom and dad arguing and it, it might be the police coming because, uh, because mom and dad were arguing or those kind of things. And it might be that mom or dad had a weapon when the police came over the weekend. And so kids show up in the dramatic play area and they start recreating these, these scenes from their real life um, in order to make sense of them. Because, because play is a safe haven for, for playing with those, those ideas and experiences and, and concepts. It's a, it's, Peter Gray talks about this play is set away, uh, set apart from the, from the real world in in children's minds and so in in those situations where kids are really dealing with these things it it becomes a a therapeutic experience a way to work through the the stuff that's going on in daily life and I think a lot of parents and even a lot of caregivers don't don't understand that that's going on and so maybe maybe some education along those lines uh, would be would be helpful because I mean play therapy is is a real thing because it works and it turns out you don't need to kids don't necessarily need to go to play I mean play therapists can be great but kids don't necessarily need a play therapist to to benefit from the therapeutic bits of play anybody else have any experiences along those lines We haven't had any experiences in, in weapon play, but it, uh, other situations that have happened in the home, a mom had a very um, rough pregnancy and things like that. So those things show up in play and how they deal with them um, are very similar to, I imagine, the trauma from weaponry. I also live in an area that's very high crime um, and service kiddos that are Head Start funded. So they're like low economic and things of that nature. So they see all sorts of crazy stuff that I have never seen in my entire life that I have to own it, that it's going to make me uncomfortable to play I might see in my classroom and how I can help them through it. I'm not a play therapist, but to like continue it and help them through that so they understand it in their own minds. Yeah. And it, it's hard because, I mean, I'd love to live in this ideal world where children grew up without having those things part of their daily lives and we don't we don't live we, we i mean we all live in realville that we don't live in that world and i think in, in those situations the worst thing we can do is ban those kinds of play and drive them underground because then like it was mentioned earlier it takes away our opportunity to to be a support system for that and now it, you 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 come up against some some unique challenges when you have kids that are dealing with with real weapons and and the related real violence on a day-to-day basis because those those emotions they bring to their play are going to be a lot 
deeper and a lot more confusing and a lot more real. And so you're going to have to be closer maybe and, and help manage that a little bit more than the kids who are, who are engaged in the, the cartoon weapon play because they watched a, watched a Batman cartoon or a Jedi movie or whatever it is, because they, they, they have different emotional um, investment in what's going on, I think. And so our job becomes a little bit more, more intense. Is that what it is in those situations where you're dealing with, uh, with the real thing, but kids, especially in those situations, I think need this kind of play. And it, it probably becomes more challenging explaining to parents and maybe coworkers and administrators about how, how valuable this kind of play is in those situations. It falls back to the relationships you can build with the families that you're working with. And if they can come to you and something has occurred or you're saying, hey, I'm seeing this in the classroom, are you comfortable with if there's something going on at home and using those relationships to continue it or um, and help them through it, help the families through it, help the kiddos through it and so on. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, maybe maybe a way to a way to bring the parents or maybe the non the non-believers uh and that no um well maybe that's what we call them um into the fold <laughs> is is we don't maybe start with hey they're experiencing this so they need this in play but but helping them see okay so do you ever you ever take the kids to to maybe you go to the circus and then they come home and they start playing circus or they they uh they 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 go to go to preschool for the first day and then they go home and they're playing preschool with the older kids or or uh or hey when uh, when uh, coronavirus first started happening, there were kids that were busy playing coronavirus, and and some of you are are, are young enough that when you were little and nine eleven happened back in two thousand and one, there were lots of block towers crashing in a lot of play areas in a lot of places around the world, and so kids kids play what they experience, and because your child has been experiencing whatever they're experiencing, the, the, the violence in the neighborhood, it's going to come out in their play. And, and that's a good thing because that means they're trying to understand it, make sense of it. And so having those conversations is probably a, a good starting point, uh, maybe not an easy conversation, but, but a good place to, to jump in and, and, and have some, have some talk and, and, and build and nurture those relationships. Anybody else want to throw something in here? Um, yeah, I um, teach in a more affluent area. And so I do see some of the weapon play, but I'm finding that it's coming more from watching older siblings doing like the video games and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and they see that um, being a mom of four boys, it, it, no matter how many times I said, no, we're not buying that gun, like everything turns into a gun. So, so I'm used to that. But I, I find the pushback is more on my colleagues because they're uncomfortable with that and not sure how to, um, uh, I don't want to encourage that behavior, but again, I don't want to discourage the weapon play. But I think what, how my class has handled it is we do a class meeting and we talk about it as a class. Like, I see that we're all interested in doing this. How can we do this safely for everyone? And um, where I work, we have a fives class, fours class, and a threes class. Mm -hmm. And the fives class on purpose don't come out to the playground when the fours and the threes are out. And they, 
their play tends to be more elevated being that they're older. And so they do more things that the threes can't do or the, and they have laid down rules. Yes. You know, this class is all boys and they want to wrestle. That's been their, the thing the last two years is it's all boys class, wrestle, 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 wrestle. And they're like, fine, what can we do so that we can do wrestling safely as a class? And we can only do it when we don't have the other classes outside with us. And, and that's how we've, approached it so it's um we've allowed the kids to to then express themselves that way but also it it gives the adults i guess in the situation more control so they feel less discomfort uh-huh in, in there i don't know i i really like that i mean that's that's a systemic approach to to supporting that kind of play you looked at hey here's the environment and and maybe maybe some of the teachers are uncomfortable with the three-year-olds playing like this but those five-year-olds really seem to need it and so so splitting up the the time outside for for that kind of stuff sounds like a a great idea um i mean look it's not necessarily aesthetically pleasing play for us as onlookers to to observe unless we have some understanding of what's going on developmentally and we can we can see past the surface layer of of what looks like violence and see all the communication and language and gross and fine motor skills and 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 complicated thinking the problem solving going on and all those kind of things um but i mean it is discomforting it's it's not aesthetically pleasing and it it is you know if you've got if you've got a certain worldview about about weapons and how people should treat each other it it totally doesn't seem like something you want children doing until you realize that it's what children seem to need to be doing at least a a good sized subset of children boys and girls and girls right and i think it changes too with the dynamics of each classroom sure so you might have it you know like if you're a boy heavy class it it, it you could have more of that rough and tumble play or I had a class last year that was um, high in sensory needs. So we climbed on top of the slide instead of um, just going down the slide. But because of COVID, we were able to be on the playground by ourselves. And so our class can make our own rules that worked for our particular needs at Mm. that time. And so I think that's how we as a staff have handled it if you and your co-teacher are okay with those rules, you know, you can make up your own class rules that work for your particular class at that time. And that has made it easier for them, me to encourage the play that needs to happen at whatever stage yeah. that class has is in, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally, it's like everything else. It's about meeting the children that show up the versions of the children that show up because it's going to, it's going to be a different kid than it was three weeks ago um, or, or yesterday morning. I mean, meeting them when they're at and, and, and developing an, an environment where they can engage in the, the play that, that they need. And e- even though we might not be enthralled by the, uh, by the topic they pick. And it is, it is so much about, about power that, um, and, and I think, we you know, we've been talking a lot about, about boys needing this kind of play. And, and I think, you know, my experience is 
that tends to be the demographic that gravitates towards this play. Although I've I've, I've known plenty of little girls who are who gravitated towards it as well. But in in a lot of classrooms, the the power play that the girls tend to want to engage in is is a lot easier for teachers to support. Um, the princess play and the fairy play and being mom, those are all roles of power. And they've got their symbols of power, the tiara or the, the shopping bag or the purse or the, uh, the magic wand or whatever it is. Those are all symbols of power, just like a lightsaber is a symbol of power. Although we, we often embrace the symbols that, that girls grab, gravitate towards and, and ban the power symbols that boys gravitate towards. And, and so I, I really love how, how everybody here that's talked has been, been talking about embracing this kind of play that that, that subset of kids seem to need. Um, just to add on to that, you know, um, COVID has definitely offered us that, that solitary, our own class rules, which has been really nice to, to have that, but also, um, just kind of throw a hanker in this. And we did kind of touch on this a little bit with, with death. You know, I had a kiddo who's like, or a, a, a group of adults that said, well, what, how, how will we make them do like water pistols or something? Or, you know, they're just shooting each other with water or something like that. And then one kid finally piped in and said, but they don't die. It's like the, something has to happen. So it, it's trying to make them realize that, okay, but death is a part of life too. And that's, that's what we live around. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, new, new show co-host, uh, Nicole, just sent me an article she wrote um, on, about death play. They had her pet bunny died and her and the kids were uh, kind of distraught. I'll be posting that on the Playvolution HQ page soon, but, but death play is a, is a often a huge part of the weapons play and the kids will build their own rules around death. I mean, you got to be, you, you get shot, you got to be dead until somebody comes and undeads you, whatever that, whatever the rules they make up are. But and, and, and that's part of the, the deepness that this play often involves for some kids because you're dealing with the emotions that your, your bestest buddy, your comrade just got killed and, and, and you gotta, you gotta be sad about that. You gotta, you gotta move forward and continue the battle and those kind of things. And there's a lot of emotional stuff going on in this kind of play. We, we often gloss, or some people often gloss over because they, they just see that surface violent looking piece of it. And so in embracing the, the death play, I think, is is valuable tool because that's that's a type of power play as well. What do you got, Jennifer? So do you think, because uh, we kind of now got into like the death play part of it, it kind of makes me think like because they've gone, when they're playing these elaborate games in their head, it almost is like it kind of them in a weird way because now they've gone through the trenches together of death and then you know and then the one pops up and now it's someone else's turn but it feels like in a way it, it builds their community and they they go through something together and then they become closer and bonded and it's their way of processing it because little kids as we all know three four and five year olds don't have deep conversations of how was your day tell me how you feel about that so they're their communication is play. So uh, dying and going through it is that bonding them in a strange way. And do y'all remember in the nineties? Cause we all kind of look around the same age. 
there was that one documentary I saw it in college and it was a school that the kids got obsessed with the Titanic and they were like, the kids are like, they built the giant Titanic ship and then they like jumped off into the icebergs and they all died. But as a class, they all died together. And I'll, I, I mean, this was in, when did I graduate college? Like 94, 95. And I still remember that, but that class was such a tight unit for doing a month long Titanic unit. And this was preschool, but now it makes me think, did they bond over that? And that's their way of getting close. I, I, I think you're on to something because yesterday afternoon I was out walking the dogs and I hear a, Hey, Jeff, as I'm, as I'm walking along and I look and it, uh, it's a uh, bill dude. I grew up with, uh, lived across the street from me for, I mean, kindergarten through high school. We went to school together and we, we spent hours, right. hours playing that way and I had seen him for over a year I mean we don't I mean we're dudes we grew up and we move I mean we don't I mean that's I don't know it's just what dudes seem to do um and and we started talking we talked for maybe 20 minutes and it was it was like we were five years old again talking about the same dumb stuff because there will forever be that bond there that that comes from maybe not just the weapons and war play but the the play period um, so I, I think you're totally on to something there. Anybody else have any thoughts? I think there's something about having kind of those house rules around play that is bonding, um, too, where, you know, if you play this, if everyone plays this the same way, then they're kind of, uh, like there's a shared understanding. You don't have to renegotiate every single time. Um, and having, those sort of standing agreements is part of, I think, what the trusting part of a relationship is built on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, I, I've talked about it on the show before, back in our family child care days, uh, uh, my, my, my little Annie came up with the rule that if you were dead, yeah, stick your tongue out. That's how well, everybody obviously. knew you were dead. <laughs> Um, if, if, cause you, cause you could be sleeping, you could just be injured. You could, you could, uh, you could have passed out, but if you're dead, the tongue has to be out. So we know how to deal with you. And for years after she grew up and went off to school, that became the house rule for, for, for being dead in our program, because it, it is something the kids invented. It's when you, when you go through building a world together, which is what kids are doing in their play, um, that, that camaraderie, that bondage bonding does, does happen. That's awesome. Do you also have to make the, I just died sound effect like this? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, of course. <laughs> Hey, we're coming up on half an hour here. Anybody have any final thoughts on this one before I wrap this episode up? This could all go on to another tangent completely, but we had a situation where a kiddo um, actually took it further and was going into autopsy and even trying to save her ambulance. And we went into a whole rescue mission with um, uh, a death scene per se, or an almost death scene. So that was, you know, 
maybe something for a different episode, but it definitely took it to a different role, which was nice. I, I think that's great because and and again, that's that's letting the letting things flow and letting the kids be the the owners of it and and seeing how many different directions their play can 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 go, ebb and flow as they oh. as the as the stories unfold. I think that's awesome. The, the mortification on my co-teacher was just like, oh, how how could you let them do that? It's bloody, it's gross, it's but it's like but that's that's a community player. It's it's you've got to accept that and, and let them go through it. There wasn't so any there wasn't any real blood, was there? No, no, no. But the kids were just so descriptive, and you know, you, you know, they were watching something. <laughs> yeah, well, it reminds me of my my granddaughter making me play that I was pregnant um, when her mom was pregnant with uh, with her her baby brother, and and so for like months before before uh, her brother came along, I, I gave birth over and over and over again. And there was talk of mucus plugs and uh, all kinds of stuff that I, I wasn't exactly comfortable with, but she sure knew about. Um, okay, well, I've said mucus plugs, so I guess that's a good 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 place to end the episode. Um, hey, listeners, I've been saying for a long time that uh, if you like the show, to share the show with a friend or, or an enemy. And uh, we're recording this the uh, very end of uh, July 2021. And this has been the best month for the uh, podcast ever. Uh, over 112,000 downloads, I think. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big boost to what we usually get. So I don't think it's uh, a bots. I think it's actually human beings is listening to the show from what I could tell. Maybe it's one person downloading episodes over and over again. I don't know. But uh, thanks for that. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You guys say bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.